Elliot, what were you doing in the spring of 1994? Were you, were you even here? You were being born. Fantastic. You were being fearfully and wonderfully made into an organist. Thank you for blessing us today. Yeah. And for the rest of you, what were you doing in the spring of 1994? That's 20, 21 years ago. 21 years ago this spring. I think we had just learned that we were expecting Morgan. I was in classes at Baylor. That's a long time ago. Spring of 19, not, not so long ago, Jerry. <laughs> were you retired in 94? Just, just last week. Just last week, all right. In the spring of 1994, Gary was assembling cribs for his twin daughters that they were expecting. He was teaching sixth grade boys in Sunday school, and because of the arrival of twin daughters, he was trying to work out a trade of his Honda Civic for a Ford Taurus station wagon. Gary was a lawyer. He was arguing cases in federal court, living in Washington, D.C., and enjoying an occasional jog along the Potomac River. For Gary, life was fantastic. Yet, he started to become aware and to hear stories on the news reports of tribal warfare in a small African country called Rwanda. As pictures of bloated bodies floating down the river and stories of mass murders and execution began to be told, it became evident to the world and to Gary that genocide was the goal of the atrocities the Hutus were portraying upon the Tutsi people, slaughtering thousands, some suggest close to a million Tutsis. Gary thought that these unbelievable, that because these unbelievable stories were taking place across the globe, that they had little, if anything, to do with his twin daughters who were soon to be born. So he went back to making sure his two cribs were in working order. Over these last weeks, we've been talking about and understanding that we live in a broken world. And the question that we began to ask last week and want to begin to really dig into this week is the question, what's the best way to live in a broken world? Is it like Gary thought back in the spring of 1994 that that, that occurred way across on the other side of the world and in a remote country in Africa and, and, and it really doesn't impact me and so I would rather just as soon stay ignorant of those things or insulated from those things in my perfect little world that I've worked hard to create. What's the best way to live when we live in a broken world? Or as we've talked about over these last couple of weeks, the story of of uh, Louis Zamperini and the injustices portrayed against him that he experienced as a prisoner of war. 
what's the best way to live in a broken world when those injustices and that evil isn't happening on the other side of the world, but it's happening to me and to, to mine? What's the best way to live in this world? The psalmist says this, that the Lord is righteous and He loves righteousness. So in a broken world where there is evil and injustice, what does it mean that God is righteous and that He loves righteousness for His people and for all people? The prophet Isaiah said this in chapter 1. He said, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plea for the widow. Isaiah had a good understanding of what it meant to live and the life we should pursue as we live in a broken world. The prophet Ezekiel said this. He said, the people... The people have practiced oppression. They have committed robbery. They have wronged the poor and the needy. They have suppressed the sojourner, the immigrant, without justice. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. How should we live in this broken world? Micah summarized the prophets and and he said it this way. He said that we are to do justice. We are to love mercy. And we are to walk humbly with God. And these are the themes that even Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, picked up on. And it's the life that He lived and pursued and taught In Matthew 23, verse 23, in one of his confrontations with the the scribes and the Pharisee, Jesus said this, he said, Woe to the scribes and the Pharisees who do religious rituals. They, they, They knew what it meant to show up at church and to do the right things, at least on the outside, to do the right things. But listen to Jesus. He says, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are the things you should have done. And most of us would believe that Jesus is reflecting back to Micah in this verse, verse 6-8 of Micah's command, of Micah's teaching, exhortation to the people of God to live in this broken world in a way that seeks justice loves mercy, and walks humbly with our God. So as we begin to answer this question this morning, we want to focus on this idea of doing justice. And certainly over the next three weeks, as we look at each of these aspects of this this passage, we understand that they fit together. There's an integration. But we'll take them one week at a time. Mishpat is the, the, the Hebrew word for justice. As Christians, we are called to do justice. To do. To do. 
not just to learn, not just to study, not just to talk about, not even just to pray about, but to do justice. We know that, don't we? Don't, don't we know that faith, that true faith, that, that true religion is about action? It's about activity? James says it this way. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word. Not merely hearers who delude themselves. We understand that those who would profess a, a faith, they would profess a, a belief in God, and yet their lives don't reflect that. We would certainly question the sincerity of their faith. James goes straight to the point. He says, well, they're deluding themselves. You see, we are to be just people. We are, are made just through Jesus Christ. But we're not just to be just people. We're to do justice. True religion, true faith is doing justice. Christ calls us to this. Again, as we continue in the book of James, James chapter 2, James tells us that faith is giving food and clothing to those in need. And he goes on to say, this is how we practice and demonstrate and show our faith to others. Jesus in Matthew 25 said that the righteous and the just are those who feed the hungry. They are those that give drink to the thirsty. They are those who visit the stranger who clothe the naked, and who visit the sick and the imprisoned. True faith, true religion, is about action. Even in the Gospel of Luke, it's the Good Samaritan who does justice on behalf of the one who is robbed and beaten and left for death. We are called, as followers of Christ, to do, to do justice. So we would be right in asking this simple question. Well, what is justice? What is it that we're supposed to do? Just kind of simply speaking, justice is a, a strict equity or fairness for all people. Some would say that justice is the right or proper use of power. Justice is rightness in action. Justice is holding accountable those who choose to do evil. Those who choose to oppress. Justice is lifting up those who have been oppressed. Those who have been victimized. Those who have been sinned against. Justice is all of these things. Now it's interesting as we look through the Old Testament that we see that justice a lot of times has to deal with economic relationships between people, business relationships between folks. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 36, the law says, You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hen. These were, were the tools that were used in business negotiation to measure so that if you bought an ephah of something, you were sure to get an ephah. And what would take place in those times was, would be that the measuring tool would not be accurate. Even as we look at Micah chapter 6, after the Lord tells us to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly, look how 
Micah continues that thought in verse 11. Can I justify wicked scales? Again, going back to this idea of how we relate and do business with one another. How we live in community with each other. Can I justify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? For the rich men of the city are full of violence. Her residents speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. You see, Micah and the prophets are addressing the injustices and the evils that are taking place in the world. Justice is ultimately about right relationship with God and with each other, with our families, with our neighbors, our fellow citizens, even those that we share this planet with. Learning how to treat each other with respect. Learning how to simply do what is right because it is right. Now we must not forget that we are made righteous through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what we call the spiritual act. It's that dynamic that we call salvation. But we are declared righteous before God. We are made just before God through the work of Christ. And therefore, we are to practice righteousness. We are to practice and to do rightness with God and with each other. But we also have to understand that, that rightness and justice are larger, are greater than just me and my circle of influence. The command to do justice is a call to action in this world. Justice falls short when we simply refrain from oppressing and hurting others. Well, I haven't done anything unjust, so I guess I'm okay. Notice that Micah doesn't say don't do justice, although we would agree with that. But he says go out and do justice. Justice falls short when we simply refrain from oppressing and hurting others. Rather, justice takes the initiative to relieve and to restore, especially among the weak, and the powerless, and the widow, and the orphan, and the poor. You see, when we see injustice or unrighteousness, we are to do justice. And so the question for us individually and as a church today is how are we doing justice? How are you doing justice in life today? Amos 5.24 says, But let justice roll down like waters and Righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Isn't that a beautiful picture of, of how righteousness, how justice should consume us? This is a passage that Martin Luther King Jr. made, made famous and used often to, to, to bring forth his cause of justice. To combat the prejudices, the systemic institutional prejudices of our nation. You see, Martin Luther King was committed to pursuing and doing justice. He didn't stand on the side of the bank and talk about it. He jumped in the middle. He was in the current. As the Scripture says, the, he, the justice rolled down over him like waters and righteousness is an ever-flowing stream. 
as many in this nation begin to seek justice in this way. Within a few months of putting together his crib, Gary found himself in Rwanda investigating for the United Nations. He stood in the church and in the stadium where thousands, thousands of Tutsis, mostly women and children and the elderly, where thousands had been lured or had sought sanctuary and refuge only to be butchered with machetes and spears and clubs. He visited with a few survivors. Many had witnessed their own families being murdered. He interviewed two little girls. Remember, he just had twin daughters. He interviewed two little girls who had survived. One with a scar across her neck. The other with a scar across her head. You see, these nameless, unidentified people had just become real people to him. He stood in the mass graves. And due to his investigative work, due to his commitment to justice, he was able to be a part of those procedures that held these murderers accountable. Gary, Gary Haugen, I'm not real sure on how to pronounce his name, H-A-U-G-E-N, is the founder and president for International Justice Mission. He says this in his book, Good News About Injustice. He says, historians have long recognized that the great achievements in humanitarian reform and social justice in the West during the 19th century were largely built on the faithful zeal of evangelical Christians. And then he goes on to identify some of these different social issues where Christians made the difference. The abolition of slavery, prison reform, the establishment of hospitals and schools for the poor, women's rights, opposition to forced prostitution, and the fight against child labor. You see, true followers of Christ have and will always do justice in the face of injustice in this world. And so again, the question for us is, how are you doing justice? How are we as a church doing justice? I think there's some good things that we're doing as a church. There's some ways that we are pursuing justice. And certainly there are many that we could probably begin to pursue even today. I think of the shelter that we're providing for those without shelter, for the homeless during these winter months. A place where they can get in out of the cold during these days. I think of our Sunday Supper ministry that invites anyone in our community to come and to have a meal with us on a Sunday afternoon and where food and clothing pantries are open. You see, these are acts of justice. These are 
examples of doing justice. I'll never forget the day I sat next to one of our, our, our men at su Sunday supper and I said, it was right after the holidays, and I said, so did, did you have a chance to spend some time with your family and to have a Christmas with them? And he said, I'm not welcome at my home. And yet he knew he was welcome here. See, that's justice. I think about those who are teaching second language or teaching English as a second language in our Friendship International ministry. An effort of justice to the sojourner among us. I think of those in our church that are a part of the Kids Hope mentoring program that are connecting with high-risk students and their families to love them and to tutor them and just to be a positive influence and person in their lives. I think of our deacon shepherds who spend time reaching out to the widow and widower in our church just to love and to catch up and to, to build relationship with them, to see what need they might have that we as a church could come along and, and help with. Think of our apartment ministry that provides housing and support for high-risk individuals that need their own secure place of shelter in order to be able to put together and establish a healthy life. I think of our upward basketball ministry. So we invited some children from the Oklahoma Children's Home. Now some of you noticed that they didn't have the proper equipment on their feet. They didn't have basketball shoes and how some of you out of your own pockets made sure that that was taken care of and you purchased shoes and you gave them to them and as as these children tried on these shoes so that they could look like everyone else one of them said wow now I can really run fast now you see that's justice many of you may not be aware that we are working with Norman Public Schools to be one of the pilot locations here in Norman for an all-day preschool program that begins next year. You see, part of justice is assuring that all children begin kindergarten and first grade on a level playing field. Because you see, those children that enter into kindergarten and first grade behind typically end up being behind and may never catch up. And justice sees that everyone begins the same playing field. See, we're doing good things as a church. We're doing justice. But church, there are so many other issues of justice that we as a community, that we as a church, that we as a nation, and we as a world must face. They are complex and politically divisive issues, yet they are issues of justice nonetheless. Will our voices be part of doing justice in these places and in this world? We do not have the luxury of sitting back and not getting involved. Our Lord has commanded us to do justice. And so can we as just a church community can we even sit down together and talk about these issues amidst the diversity of ideas and thoughts? And can we act in ways that do justice? 
Some of these you might say, oh, they don't impact us. And some of us, some of them impact us right here and right now. Issues of terrorism. I heard today that one of the reporters had been executed again. This is a global issue of injustice that the world has to address. I think of in our own nation the issue of immigration, the sojourner, what is just and what is right, especially when those that show up at our borders are children who have been manipulated. I think of health care issues, what is just in a nation like ours. There are social and legal and ecclesial issues that are growing in our community and in our nation with the GLBT community. Issues of justice that must be addressed. There are educational issues as we've talked about. There are environmental issues in our nation, in our world, in our state. Our state is dealing with capital punishment issues and what is right and what is just in that issue. We're dealing with issues of bullying and discrimination. Most recently, Norman High School and the issues that went on there this last fall with accusations of bullying. I think of economic issues, of injustices that our, our nation goes through. I think of payday loan places and the injustices, the taking advantage of the poor in our community. And similarly, how child labor issues across the globe are still issues that must be addressed. Why partnerships and sponsorships that you can be a part of through groups like World Vision and Compassion International provide resources for families so that their children can get an education and don't have to be slave workers and laborers. I read of how things work in small rural villages in places like India. One particular story, a father, a family that, that got sick and they had to, to somehow come up with a loan to pay for their medicine and their treatment. A loan of $50 that this poor family could not manage. And so they sold, they leased, whatever word you'd want to use, they enslaved their daughter. So that she could work for 50 to 75 cents a day in horrid conditions. Of course, the reality was is these the, the injustices is that the, the, the workers, those that owed the debt, would only take the, the payment in full. And of course, as they began to pay out the, the, the couple of dollars a day to this poor family, they discovered that, that they needed that money to, to, for the rest of the family to survive. And so for $50, $25, children in various parts of the world are being sold into slavery and are not able to get out of those systems and structures. I think of issues of hunger. Did you realize that Oklahoma is always in the top five of states in this nation that struggle with hunger issues? Recent statistics say that 17% of our population, that's 650,000 people, that's 230,000 children in Oklahoma are food insecure every day. It means they don't know if they're going to have a meal or where it's going to come from on any given day. 
See, these are issues of justice. And what does the Lord require of you and of me? To do justice. Oh, it's so tempting to sit back and to say, oh, life is so good. And those things on the other side of the world or across the street, they don't really apply to me, do they? I'm just doing my own good thing in my own little world. Life is good. But God calls us to something greater and more significant. He calls us to do justice. So how will we live? And how will you live? Let's commit. Let's practice. Let's do justice. Together and individually. Let's pray.